I'm not sure where the phrase, welcome to the 90s, came from. Maybe it was a slogan for Pepsi to be edgy, cool, and, well, 90s. When Frank, the eccentric wedding planner played by Martin Short, delivers the pithy epigram to George Banks, played by Steve Martin, I'm fairly certain George hated the zeitgeisty phrase right away. What was the 90s to George Banks? It was wedding cakes with prices beyond compare. It was wedding coordinators with impossible-to-follow accents. But ultimately, it's the decade that sees George Banks give away his daughter in marriage. Written by then-married filmmakers Charles Shire and Nancy Myers, Follow the Bride is a remake of the 1950 film of the same name, which starred Spencer Tracy and was directed by musical legend Vincent Minnelli. The Steve Martin version sports the now classic style of the 90s rom-com. Glossy, high-key lighting, bright, optimistic score, and most importantly, a jauntily paced plot paired with play-it-safe humor. Though Nancy Myers only has co-writing and producer credit on the film, we still see her signature influence on display. It has an energy and verve that will be repeated to Myers' other blockbuster rom-coms like What Women Want, Something's Gotta Give, and The Holiday. The film follows the trials of George Banks, who struggles to let his daughter go in marrying an ostensibly decent guy. He balks at the cost of the wedding, freaks out over his future son-in-law, and, maybe most memorably, has a nervous breakdown in the hot dog bun aisle. Though the romance in the film is between George's daughter and her husband-to-be, this is really a tender love story of a father and daughter. It does a commendable job in championing a common relationship that's rarely portrayed on film. The chemistry between the cast is wonderful. Diane Keaton shines in a role as George's wife, and Kimberly Williams is exceptional as the young daughter who must prove that she's finally grown up. With the indelible influence of rom-com titan Nancy Myers and featuring Steve Martin in his goofball charm, Father of the Bride remains, for me, a staple of 90s rom-coms. Then she gets a little older, and you quit worrying about her meeting the wrong guy. And you worry about her meeting the right guy. And that's the biggest fear of all, because then you lose her. And before you know it, you're sitting all alone in a big empty house wearing rice on your tux, wondering what happened to your life. It was just six months ago that it happened here. Just six months ago that the storm broke. So there we were, sitting there Show. after. Oh, hold on, I'm doing my thing. So there we were. We were sitting there after hours of trying to get audio to work correctly, and we had glitter in our shoes and headphones on our head. I didn't know that it would be so hard to record one podcast. That was that was my opening monologue. That was your Steve Martin. Yeah. That's right. a good Steve Martin. All right, you, your turn. I'm just kidding. That was not a good Steve Martin. I wasn't doing a Steve Martin. How do you do? I was just doing an opening monologue. Well, oh, he's kind of he... got... He, he... How, do you, how do you do a Steve Martin? Um, how, how do you do a Steve Martin? We've got all the time in the world, and we don't need this on the pod, so why don't, why don't you just try? We'll see what we can do. To do my Steve Martin? What? What? <laughs> Wait, ask, ask me, say, say... Who's George Banks? Okay. You say Who's it. George Banks? Me! What's that? That's good. That's good. How about, Ryan, ask me what my favorite drink is. What's your favorite drink? It's Whiska Dolly. <laughs> That's my Martin Short. <laughs> oh, you're Martin Short. Yeah. Well, glad we got that out of the way. So let's start with Martin Short. Is he, what is he? Where's he from? Is he Yiddish? Is he Polish? 
No, I, I, I want to say I think he'd have more to talk like he would have mentioned it because all the guests are Polish, right? All the guests from his side of the family, from Brian's side of the family. They're from Dutch? Denmark. Denmark. They're Danish. Okay. They're, Danish. they're from Denmark. Um, uh, so I think so. Not Denmark because he would have been like, oh, my people are here. He never says that. So I, not Danish people. Frank is from and they keep saying he keeps like going by them, and he's like Shalom Aleichem. <laughs> it's like it's not Shalom Aleichem, who's a Jewish writer, but it's, it sounds like something like Shalom Aleichem. Like sounds something Yiddish, something um, something Israeli, something I don't know. I would like so, that. Maybe he's from like um, like Jewish Brooklyn a little bit, and but he's he, he's he's recreated himself in um, whatever image Frank is. I am this California Frank. thing. And then, yeah, then you have... Um, and B.D. Wong. B.D. Wong as um, Howard Howard Weinstein. Close. Yeah, not <laughs> Harvey Weinstein, so that's good. And I think they said... I think you pronounce it Stein, not Steen. I, I think so. So we're in the clear. But B.D. Wong is also great. Hey, in this he wasn't They're, trying to make like, dinosaurs, and so, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. And how about that range of 90s B.D. Wong of like... I know! Just a couple of years He's so good! He was, dealing with dinosaurs he's he's also a voice in mulan um i can't remember who he is but yeah he's he and martin short are uh, i think the 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 shining gems of comedy in this movie because it's weird to see steve martin kind of playing comedy whenever they're not around but being the straight man and i think like let's just give it up for this cast, like up and down, down and up. We got Steve Martin, Diane Keaton, Kimberly Williams, Kieran Culkin, George Newbern. Um, he's on an episode of Friends, George Newbern. Yeah, he plays Rachel's boyfriend. dude from Father the Bride. Yeah. Absolutely. Some people are just into appearances. <laughs> and I can't unsee it. Um, uh, yeah. Like, good cast, for sure. Um, I feel like Diane Keaton plays her role perfectly in this movie, but she has not a ton to do a lot of the time. Um, She's the straight man to the straight man. Yeah, yeah. She she really... Like, she has some comedy chops, too, but she's really playing, playing like, keep it together, George, you bumbling idiot. Yeah. Okay, I want to talk, um, because we both like this movie. You grew up with this movie. You've seen it innumerable amount of times on TV, right? Yeah, I didn't own it, but somehow I know this movie super well. And I guess it's just been the, my go-to. Like, I think it's TBS's, like, on TBS, it's the Father of the Bride channel, and on TNT, it's the Shawshank Redemption channel. Yeah, yep. Like, those are the only movies that they had in their, their bookcase. They're like, I don't know, let's throw this on. Like, at least once a week. Yeah, and I feel like... My nostalgia for the movie is um, I would just it would be a good Friday night if this is what was on. <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up with it a, a bit. My dad used to do Frank impressions every once in a while. And so I can't imagine. That. I know it's it's really bizarre. But you ask him next time. Next time we hang out. <laughs> can't wait. I remember one of my vivid memories that really ties into the whole like idea of why we do this podcast of. Um, was when the sequel came out. Um, so the first one came out in 1991. Yep. Um, so Father of the Bride 2 came out in 1995. So I remember when I was a kid and that movie was on pay-per-view. Uh, Father of the Bride 2 was on pay-per-view. 
and I'm sure I'm going to rehash this conversation when we get to Father the Bride 2's episode. But I remember I was in the playroom, like playing my Super Nintendo, and my mom came into the room and she's like, hey, I'm going to the grocery store, and then I'm probably going to stop by the video store. Do you want me to grab you anything? And I had been watching that channel that tells you what other channels are showing at that moment. Yeah, yeah, I know the one. And the only commercial they show is what's on the pay-per-view. And so it's just the same three trailers over and over and over again. And so I remember I had, I wasn't, I remember not being super familiar with the first father of the bride, but familiar enough to know who was who in the father of the bride too, when I was watching this trailer and it would come on and I was like, this seems like a funny movie. And so my mom came in she's like, what movie do you want me to rent? And I was like, can you get me father of the bride too? That would be great. <laughs> and my mom's like, <laughs> okay. And she goes to the grocery store, she goes to the video store, she comes home, and I'm waiting for her to come upstairs, and she never comes up, and I go downstairs, I'm like, hey, where's my video? And she's like, oh, I thought you were kidding. I was like, no, I wanted to watch it, because she thought it was some not movie for little boys, that why would a little boy want to watch a movie called Father the Bride? Part two, no less, like this... Steve Martin movie about um, his pregnant wife and his pregnant daughter. Like, that is not a movie that my son, who watches Back to the Future, Star Wars, E.T., and Hook, he would not want to watch this movie. So he was obviously kidding. What was your experience with the Father of the Bride movies? Well, hold on, hold on. So so did you... you I want to talk more about Father of the Bride 2, actually, because... I I haven't seen it for a little while, but I remember liking it. Well, even... I didn't get to see it then. I was stuck. <laughs> uh, I remember liking it even more than Father of the Bride one. I guess like the point is moot. We're not talking about that movie. Yeah, we'll we'll certainly get to it. Yeah, we'll get to comes. it. Um, I don't know. I I watched Father of the Bride. You know, a, as many times as I watched most um fun family romantic comedies of the '90s, which is to say, like five or six times. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I will say, um, I think, I think this is kind of a family movie. I think the, it's, it's a weird demographic that it's aiming for of like, okay, it's a Steve Martin movie. Um, it's Steve Martin in the nineties. It's not Steve Martin in the seventies. So it's like his, his base is in the same life situation that he is, that they have, um, a family at home and they're dealing with the same kind of struggles and it's they'll definitely relate to the comedy. This movie was geared towards dads. So is it a dad movie? It's a dad movie. Full on dad movie? For sure. Hey, what's new, pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. I think this movie, you're right, it has general appeal because um, like it has all the characters where you have like a daughter, a son, a mom and a dad. You have in-laws. You have um, a wife. A, 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 you, you have everybody who can possibly like relate to this situation, basically, um, as long as you're super fluent. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, but, but, like, I mean, you know, that universal theme of, like, letting go of your children is there. But, like, through the voiceover, I think, I think this movie could have been about being... I could have been more universal without the voiceover, but I think it's very much for dads because of the narration. Um, like, And that it's, he's the protagonist that it's really, it's his perspective. It's his perspective, but it's doubled down on being his perspective because we we're in his head all the time. And he's telling us exactly how he's feeling, which I, 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 I it's part of the corniness of this movie and I'm not going to dock it for it's, it's, 
it makes it lovely because it's Steve Martin being funny. But are you saying it's a dad movie and it's in the same like you're like you're buying your dad like ten Blu-rays for Father's Day and you're buying him Saving Private Ryan. Depends Shawshank on the dad, Redemption, <laughs> The Great Escape, and he needs a comedy, so let's throw in the Father of the Bride. I mean, yeah, I'd get this for my dad, but um, again, depends on your dad. Dads can be a lot of different people, um, but at least in the um, in our rom com echelon, this is the dad movie. I think it's the daddiest of rom coms. Look, you're not going to be picking a fight, Dad. Dad, dad, daddy-o. Yeah. yeah. And I, I still will defend this movie as a rom-com is because it's about, it has so many rom-com elements. It's about a courtship. It's about a marriage. It's about a relationship. It just has a different perspective. Yeah. It's about, well, I mean, cause it's about the loss of things to that. Um, yeah. Because it's not about his at all. Like, I mean, we get a little bit of his romance with uh, Diane Keaton, mm-hmm. um, Nina, and they have like a really sweet, fun love where they can like argue about something but still have a good time and she like makes him repeat after her when they're when he's stuck Mm -hmm. in jail that one day Mm -hmm. Um, but you're right it it follows all of the tropes of a romantic comedy yeah and the love and the romance of the movie is that it's about a father's love for the daughter and what that means and so much of this movie is the gauntlet of what does it mean to love my daughter best you know what it reminds me of a little bit is remember the Titans? Sure. Denzel. I'm going to help you boys. It's from the perspective of the coach. Um, and so it's, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll get to see a bunch of the other players, but the, the person that we're most following is Denzel. And so it's, a, it's like the romantic comedy is to Steve Martin in this movie as the sports movie is to Denzel in remember the Titans where he's not the one playing the sports, just like Steve Martin's not the one in love in this film, but he's he's the one like kind of, I mean, it would be as if Denzel had no power, I guess, because <laughs> Steve Martin doesn't do anything. And that's part of the what he hates about his life is that he's shunted to the side and has no power. I'll, I'll, I'll follow your logic then. So in Father the Bride, we've got Steve Martin, a.k.a. the Denzel Washington of the movie. Yeah, I'm sure he wouldn't <laughs> complain. <laughs> um i think it's an interesting question and it's a challenge that i think you and i as filmmakers and uh, i think other filmmakers should take the challenge of um take your rom-com storyline and keep the story but shift the perspective and find a different protagonist a main protagonist that the point of view is from and then write your your script because you could write the script from Kimberly Williams perspective. And oh, it's like, for sure. Oh my God, my dad is so embarrassing. He does this, 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 and this. Cause she's witness to a lot of his hijinks, not mm-hmm. all of them, but she's witness to a bunch of it. And you could easily make the conflict about her. And because, and the thing is, this movie is about her conflicts. It's just how the dad is dealing with her conflicts. Yeah. And I would say that this movie is probably more often, written from the perspective of Kimberly Williams or from Diane Keaton's perspective, um, mm-hmm. or at least they're, they're more prominent characters in films like this. And so um, to get a, a, a dad movie in the genre is fun. I, I like yeah. this movie for that reason. Yeah. And I think that's also partly why 
we as younger guys, I mean, I was a little boy technically when I watched this movie. And I, let me tell you why I found it so enjoyable and so relatable. Um, I found it relatable because I think it was the first, I really do think it was the first like recognizable beyond like sitcoms, like full house and family matters and stuff like that. It was a piece of media that was like, Hey, these people are just like you. They have brothers and sisters. They live in a nice house. Now this kind of movie, it's elevated stuff. Like their house is gigantic. And like, (laughs) yeah, that, that scene when he walks in the, uh, in-laws house and he's like, all I could think about was the size of this place. We could have parked our whole house in the foyer. I'm like, well, my apartment can fit in your foyer, sir. <laughs> my apartment can fit in your bathroom. So yeah. <laughs> both of you can shut up. That's And that's the but, one other, like, one drawback to this movie is it is the struggles of an extremely upper middle class family. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, we're so broke. It's like, shut up. No, you're not. Nowhere near it. I, yeah. And I, I don't think they ever get to the point where they're, like, complaining about being broke. It's But it is... Steve Martin being like, oh, I can't believe I'm spending all of this money. And it's like, if, oh, we, we did some calculations, by the way. Um, How much was the wedding? Okay, so the wedding, if it was $250 a head, and um, he said that they were going to get it down to 150 people. Um, How much is that? That was 37500 But uh, they end up having at least 200 people at the wedding. Um, oh, they went over. They went over. And so that ends up being more in the mid 40s. And then adjusted for inflation, that gets to around 87,000. Um, oh, so that, just that is painful. Like, I mean, that's a painful wedding. And how, how much? But if you live in Southern California and you own a house like that and you own your own shoe company. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean. It, it like, it's all relative. Um, but I think that's why Nina is right. And her being like, George, would you shut up? Like, we can afford it. Like, yeah. You're being ridiculous. They And when she says, like, we don't go to Europe, you know, I don't have expensive jewelry. We don't have expensive cars. Um, I was like, yeah, I get that. Except that, like, you know, George's car is, like, it's really it, nice. It's choice. Plus, and I must be honest here, I love driving it. It is so choice. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. Thank you. Yes, sir. And it's, it's a, <laughs> and this the movie's not doing this obviously, but a more bitter indie movie could have been like, well, the guy is selfish. Like, look at that car. Yeah, and this movie's optimistic. Um, it's not going to do that. It's, it's not going to do that, and it's nowhere near that category. I don't need it to be because it's not pretending to be a movie that like dips into realism. It's like this is kind of a cookie cutter situation, and we're going to watch Steve Martin struggle with it because it's fun to watch Steve Martin. Yeah. Uh, so I want to finish my relatability part to the story, and it's that when I was watching it, I I went to my aunt's wedding when I was like six or seven. Were and you so a ring like, No, I I do <laughs> Not remember having to steps, huh? No, I remember having to wear like this stupid button-up shirt, and it was like my first time wearing wearing a shirt that had buttons on. I was like, why can't I just wear a t-shirt, mom? She's like, just get in the car. Um, Put down your copy of Father of the Bride 2. Yeah. Like, can we please go to Blockbuster afterwards? Um, But I remember 
this story being something relatable because it was about family. And it's something I really enjoy about rom-coms in general is the idea of family. And you've met my mom's side of the extended family and it's, it's very big and it's very lovely and it's very warm and it's very loving and family um, values. (laughs) But father, the bride kind of made me like recognize the people on screen. I was like, Oh, I get it. Like they're like my aunts and uncles who just got married and like, that mom's like my mom. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I mean, like, no one's dad is like Steve Martin. I think we can all say that. And I think that's part of why you go to a Hollywood movie is having, like, okay, well, Steve Martin, like, George George has the curmudgeonly stuff that we all recognize, but it's the comic stuff that's, like, that's why he's a movie star is mm-hmm. because he does the comic thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very know? much. He's. But he, I think, go ahead. Oh, I, I mean, he's he is he is playing the straight man to himself. A lot of the yeah. time in this movie, but you're right. He is the comedian. Yeah. So I, I think that's part of why I enjoyed it so much is because I think I immediately was able to understand the films. I mean, it's, it's not codedness, but to a, to a younger kid, it is kind of a codedness where it's like, how do I understand what I'm looking at on screen? It's like, well, this is, this is very your life. Um, what about you? Uh, what about me? What was it relatable? Did you, yeah, did as you find it? Yeah, yeah. Did you see it as like I, I, I get what like you're not a dad, so you don't. <laughs> you're not a dad when you're a kid. You're a kid, and so how in tune to George's problems are you? Well, okay, that's a really interesting thing for you to bring up because um, you and I on this podcast have talked a little bit about like who do who do you empathize with, and mm-hmm. I think because. Um, not not because I saw it reflected in my own life, but since I watched movies like this a lot as a kid, I did end up sympathizing with like dads. Like I, I think about this movie and I think about the Goofy movie where, yeah, where yeah. Goofy's having a really hard time trying to connect with his son. And I, I liked Max, but I always connected to Goofy and felt sorry for Goofy. And I was like, Max, he's just trying to like do his best and so I, oh man can we just take a minute to talk about a goofy movie can we just can we get into it yeah like, it's, well yeah um I, like I, the I, whole thing of like max picking the road away from the lake and the fish <laughs> and like you're watching that you're right like, or left max okay max now this is it left or right and he's like goofy <laughs> this is so silly but goofy is just like bitter and you just you get that as a kid of like mm-hmm. you've definitely every young person has disappointed their dad like that and just like oh gosh. yeah and do you think that's why you and I as a couple of guys uh, I mean that's the one thing that you especially don't want to do is disappoint your dad um, yeah where where you see the struggle from the dad's perspective and it gives us a little bit of vicariousness where we're like this is a safe way to access my dad's feelings in a way that is usually not safe for, um, I don't know, a young adolescent, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this movie, um, I think like when we first watched it, we obviously were like, I guess I relate to Maddie the most technically, if you had to ask it's Maddie. Um, yeah, but I think, part of the way the movie is depicted is that it's in such broad, like Steve Martin plays it pretty broadly where it's like, Oh yeah, my dad gets grumpy like that. (laughs) Um, well, 
I mean, I didn't really relate to him because he wasn't really there doing anything. I know, but like if you were, if you found yourself, didn't you do this all the time as a kid of like um, projecting yourself into a story where like yeah, yeah, yeah. when you're watching Back to the Future is like, yeah, if I was Marty McFly, I would do this and you know, I would drive my car down that road and do all stuff like that. So like when I would throw myself in a movie, I'd be, I guess I'd be like Maddie because I can't, I can't see myself going through this movie as George Banks. Yeah, well, I mean, I actually, I mean, sometimes, like I said, with with Goofy movie, I threw myself in the Goofy shoes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even with this movie, I think um, when I was watching it, I really connected with the daughter for some, some like uh, adolescent romantic reason. Because I was like, oh, she's been to Europe and she's fallen yeah. in love. And uh, I, to me, that was interesting as like a young teenager, especially because I was like, oh, that sounds great. Although they, they're kind of full of it because at night they're like oh we're gonna go out for, like right after they get back from europe they're like we're gonna go out for cappuccinos don't you know don't wait up for sounds us so nice sounds like, so lovely it sounds it sounds like that the woman from friends who comes back from england and is like calling her cell phone a mobile <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh oh, what was my thought um oh yeah this time around i probably haven't seen it in three or four years um but this time around i really um cared about um uh about annie banks and about what she goes through and it's weird because like when you first watch this movie as a kid um annie banks is like a very pretty girl oh yeah like grown-up girl and it's like wow she's really pretty but now when i'm 31 watching this movie he's like oh she's young she's a very young person Mm -hmm. and i can understand where um george and nina are coming from and i'm not anywhere near the life stage of being like parent thinking she's too young i'm just thinking yeah she's kind of young um but i'm sure in about 15 years or at least 20 years when my son is going to be of the age where he can start thinking about getting married um then i'll (laughs) well 20 years everyone's gonna look really young (laughs) to our eyes um but now it's weird being on the other side of of her character's age um i'm like nine years older than her character. And I, now I get it. I'm like on this next life stage, I'm married. I've got a kid. I'm not, I'm not close to that anymore. And I can see this, um, innocence and they do. She, Kimberly Williams is, does such a good job in this movie. She, she does, is yeah. pitch perfect in all the scenes. She's, she wants to show that she's grown up. Like you can tell in that dinner scene and like, she's wearing this, little black black dress which is obviously for um brian because she's going to be seeing him later that night um but it's also a nice dress that makes her look grown up um it makes her look like she's not a teenager she's and that's what diane keaton says as soon as she comes home is she looks different like there's something different about her and but she doesn't say what it is at all yeah so there's this uh persona about her that um me watching it immediately was like, oh, she's really young, but there's a maturity about her. And it's, it's, um, it's very, I don't know. I was very moved by her character because then Brian shows up. It's like, oh, wow, she's really in love with this guy. Yeah. And like, I really felt with Nina. I'm like, come on, George, they're in love. I, I, I felt that way too, but I, I do like, I felt like they were a couple of especially mature young adults and then when she has her freak out about the blender, mm-hmm. um, that also rang true. 
like yeah. it, it, in the writing anyway, where this person might be as mature as they are for their age. But if you are inexperienced in love and you don't know what it is like to be vulnerable or to trust somebody like with your heart yeah and you've you've been through a crash course relationship and you're like and i'm gonna devote the rest of my life to somebody that's why that rang so true is because they they leapt into this thing and at the first sign of like trouble she's like the wedding's off and yeah. that also rang true so as mature as she was i was like yeah she's still a young girl yeah. yeah so great very great this isn't going in but Huge trucks of land. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you can keep that because did you notice the joke where um, Steve Martin's like, uh, I, I can't describe this over audio. I can, if only people could see me right now. But he's, he's holding like, his he hands the, almost as if he's cupping breasts. He does the Monty Python joke of like mature. Oh yeah, he does when he's talking about Diane Keaton when she was younger. That 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 doesn't matter times have changed your mother was mature <laughs> and it's it's steve martin like his physical comedy in this movie is so good like yeah when when um brian is putting his hand on annie's knee um and his yeah. eyes just like get really big <laughs> and i'm just like ah oh, this is why i'm here buddy you've 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 made me into a steve martin believer once again yeah i will say the movie almost almost loses its credibility and gets too saccharine and i'm saying they bring it right to the ledge like it almost falls off the ledge but it just zips right up to it can you guess which scene i'm thinking about that makes it almost too saccharine almost too much uh, is it i want to get this right too much what scene is almost too is it much? when he's practicing steps with the kid upstairs in the hallway no that's subtle and lovely i don't know no it's when they're playing basketball at the beginning that they're playing ba- yeah and it's not yeah that they're playing basketball together it's the song my yes well they they got the rights to it and so they had to use it we'll play a little bit of that here that was a two-minute basketball scene where they just play basketball for two minutes. This is my first note here. Um, <laughs> because, and what it seems like, uh, and especially because they, they play basketball again later on in the movie. Yeah. And it seems much more like a sitcom. Oh, yeah. Especially in that, that when they're all playing basketball together when Brian's mm-hmm. over. And I th- is it a saxophone that's going? Yeah. It's a, it, it feels it's like a I'm watching the Wonder Years. Um, it's, it's the Family Matters like soundtrack very much so and and this movie i i I feel like if you kind of toned down the antics this would make a good tv comedy opening episode where yeah yeah where like if you started off with the wedding or something like that or the first season is about them getting married um yeah like it's just like you got a like fun family dynamics and the dad's having a hard time with it and then with those basketball scenes, I was like, this is straight off of ABC family. But the song of using my girl yeah. in the way that it's used, like, and later you on, guys, you guys are pushing it. You are pushing it hard, but because I'm still in. later in the movie. It's the night before the wedding and he's imagining um, like, or he's, he's remembering all of Annie's that 
That worked for me. Yeah, no, that, that worked for me as well. 100% for me. And that didn't get anywhere near pushing over the no, edge. No, I, I and, agree. And I think it's because the My Girl thing... Uh, like maybe we're being too particular and it's we're making no, mountains over no i don't think so i think it's a it is a saccharine moment in a movie that is uh super corny and fun but you're right it pushes it to the edge and it's because of the length really cuz you could have had my girl playing in the background or something and it could have been a little saccharine but it just we watched them play basketball for what seems like 5 hours yeah and i think it's it's one of the, I think why we're we take issue with it is because we as viewers and again this is kind of unfair because I do think this movie shoots for a bigger all ages thing where us as kids we 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 read it adults don't need nearly as much ammo but it's 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 for it's for the not as sophisticated audience like children of like hey these two get along really well and they have a history together and like they have a special father daughter relationship and it's, it's singular and it's unique and it's wonderful. And I think the grownups in the room were like, we know, Um, but I think it's, it's, it's cast in a wide net in that scene. It is. I, I, you're right when you said it before and we can say it again, this movie is for families. Yeah, it really is. Mm -hmm. It really is. As opposed to like LA story, which is for adult comedy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I do love the other montage of him just remembering her because um, I don't foresee myself having an emotional moment like, like, let's check me in 20 years, but I don't see myself having an emotional moment with my son or maybe if I have a daughter someday of having an emotional moment where in the movie of my mind, the song My Girl is playing. I don't see that happening in my life. I 100% am assured that I'm going to have a feeling the way that it has that montage of memories with that song. That's that captures the essence of that wistful memory of what he's going through. That rang 1 billion percent true for me. Me too. And it, it feels so like picky to say one works and one doesn't because on paper they seem very similar well one is they play basketball the other is george remembers eight different memories of his daughter it it works thematically though doesn't it the basketball scene i mean yeah him him playing basketball with her and having this connection with her when he like has her at home and well yeah it's their special um ceremony is that the right word ritual um ritual it is their ritual it is their absolute ritual together um and i think i think we all we all have the same thing with our parents like my ritual with my dad as a kid was mariners games and that was totally our ritual and we had like we just had that kind of down pat of like when a mariners game is happening um dad and ryan are going that's that's what's going to happen did you guys have season tickets no but we went a lot um okay yeah and uh, i got to go to inaugural game at safeco field and yeah it was a great time and so cool and that and that's why i'm not that's why it doesn't lurch over the edge is because it's like we all get like this is the ritual it's not a ritual it's the ritual and what they do really well is that it's not it's not just playing basketball it's you can tell that over the years they've developed their own rules Right, where where like he'll hold her and foul, and like and that's it doesn't the rules. matter. That's and how they, it works. No matter who scores, they always high five each other. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. And they do this thing. Did you ever do this when you play basketball of when you rebound, you can't just shoot from the rebound. You have to take it back. You do. Uh, I mean, unless, mm, uh, yeah, house rules, right? Yeah. And, and they, these are their house rules. They had very specific house rules. And he, like when he travels, like he travels he it. and the way he travels is such a Steve Martin way of it's, traveling. It's like, yeah, it was like watching Sasquatch Lope. <laughs> yeah. But I felt like I was watching a Saturday Night Live sketch character traveling. And it's like, mm-hmm. I like this. It's nice. Uh, it is. I, I think you you use the perfect adjective for this movie. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's not giving it enough credit. It's more than nice. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's all it is. Like but tea if, with your grandmother is nice. This is, this is more than that. What, what is it then? Um, it's really nice. It's a bunch of wholesome comedy. I don't know. I, I wasn't meaning it um, as a pejorative. I think it's it is a really nice movie and it is funny, but like it, I, I the laugh out loud moments for me here were um, I, I found myself smiling more than laughing. I was smiling and laughing all the way along. Uh it's I've got this uh, uh, the IMDb page up for me um, as we're talking about this, and I think it's an interesting contrast of it's saying more like this, and it's like Father of the Bride two, um, three men and a baby, and then below that is Cheaper by the Dozen. Which have you seen Cheaper by the Dozen, Steve Martin? Yeah, and I just think it's interesting that Father of the Bride is a, it it is exceptional because Cheaper by the Dozen also a family film starring Steve Martin, but it's garbage. It's garbage compared to this. It just doesn't have the same kind of intentness behind this movie. Did you not find this movie at any point in time? I guess this time when I came back to the movie, I I, I remembered it with nostalgia that got broken a little bit this time. Oh, um, my nostalgia... Interesting. My nostalgia got aided by new insights like seeing Annie Banks in a different light that gave more volume to the film's story. I I think what what I re- I remembered this story when I was younger being a little bit um I don't know what the right word is deeper meaningful, I guess. Um like like the the last scene with them dancing in the um in the house Mm-hmm. is I it was pretty saccharine to me this time like I remember it like being like oh finally he he finally got like you know recognition and love for like all the love he's given his daughter and he finally gets to relax and have a, a nice l- rest of his life with his wife and uh, there was something in watching it today where the movie was good and it was funny, but it, it existed on a level of nice for me where it it wasn't doing very much more than that. Like, like, like when I watch, for instance, I like this movie maybe a little bit more than something's got to give, but I get more out of something's got to give. If we're talking Nancy Meyer 
Mm-hmm. I need. I haven't seen something's got to give, so I'm in trouble. Yeah, we watched it um, together, didn't we? Nope. That was your other best friend, who shall remain nameless because they don't exist. <laughs> now, what's the movie with Jack Nicholson and? That's Diane? something's got to give, and I've never seen that movie. Yeah, you did. We watched it in the basement of of that house that we lived in together, in my room. I was probably making out with a girl. Oh no, 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 no! That was you. No. Oh. Well, fine. Swish. <laughs> um, we watched as good as it gets in your room. That's what I meant. <laughs> that's not Nancy Myers, though. That's James Brooks. Yeah, never mind. Yeah. Okay, I'll delete this. <laughs> no, keep it. Let the people know. Um, the uh, I don't know. Like the movie was good, but like when Steve Martin would like walk into a room and he was like. Hey, person. Hey, person over there. We're doing this here. I just remembered it being so much, I don't know why, but smarter than it was currently. But it's not trying to be smart. Well, it's, I think that's the part of the problem of, like, when's the last time you actually watched this movie? Like, that uh, Probably when I was 18. Okay, so it's been a while, and you've become a far more sophisticated movie watcher since then. I, I was expecting more out of it, and I... I sh- and that's my fault because uh, in watching this movie, it exists on this level, which is a bunch of nice family fun with S- Steve Martin and Martin Short bonuses. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I think like there are other movies from my childhood that I want to come back to, but I've been afraid to because I'm afraid I'm going to have the same reaction that you do. Um, I and, and I think if I watched this movie in a year, I would enjoy it more. Mostly because you probably have this rubric that you came to it. And it's like, we all know this was a classic when we were children. So let's um, bring our, you know, our classic rubric with us. Yeah. And, and I've, been, I've been keeping that inside me this whole time because I didn't want to poo-poo this movie at all. And I'm not. Um, it's, I enjoyed myself thoroughly. And there's some like capital C comedy moments in this film like where um, Steve Martin takes a drink of the champagne and then he realizes that they haven't toasts yet because they're drinking champagne at like (laughs) 10 a.m. and and he spits it back in the cup and I'm just like that was one of the moments where I was like yes this is great and here can you answer me this do you know who Francis Goodrich is oh Francis Goodrich Mm -hmm. no according to INDV is the writer uh, he wrote, well, that's an interesting question, and maybe we should do some research really quick, because Francis Goodrich wrote The Thin Man, and he died before this movie came out. Oh, I need to illuminate you. Did you not know this is a remake? No, I knew this was a remake. So and he, so, so the Francis Goodrich was, is getting the credit because it's the remake credit. That's I, I, interesting because I didn't know that just because I think wrote we, the we should do screenplay. our WGA research and see if that's what's going on here. Um, but I'm yeah. pretty sure what happened is Nancy Myers, Charlie, Charles Shire took the script of the mm-hmm. original, made their script. And technically this is like, I don't know if it's technically an adaptation or a remake. Like, I don't know where it would qualify. Um, but And Charles Shire, he did uh, like Private Benjamin Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. He produced The Parent Trap, which I think has... Which Nancy Meyer also wrote or produced. Parent Trap uh, was directed by Nancy Myers. Okay. 
That yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, very similar vibes in the Parent Trap. Very similar vibes. Yeah, very similar vibes. Um, okay, here's a question: Who's the villain of this film? From because we we <laughs> don't generally have a rom com that at least doesn't have one villain character. Well, I think this is a classic story where George Banks is his own worst enemy. Yeah, yeah, because this is a character movie, right? Mm-hmm. I thought this was going to be more of a comedy of errors but it's more of a like a re-coming of age tale yeah in a way yeah um and once i started looking at it like that again and kind of just seeing it as like man this is somebody getting in their own way and learning uh although the thing is i sympathized with (laughs) i don't know about you because you threw a wedding how long ago when when did you get married uh six years ago okay did you have any of his concerns about like throwing your wedding? No, because I wasn't Sarah's dad. <laughs> okay, not my problem. <laughs> so, so my wedding didn't have that, <laughs> like, because Robin and I paid for our wedding. Yeah, and like my 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 parents helped with a bit of it as well, but like we didn't have money to pay for a, like a wedding or a, like anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so in seeing him be like holy crap you want to spend twelve hundred dollars on a cake um yeah i was more like on george's side and being like i was like george i understand that you needed to learn a lesson here i guess but the lesson at the end of the movie is just stay out of the way and make sure that you're working for other people's happiness which i like i really like that lesson but there was also like no lesson in your daughter's going to get anything she wants here. <laughs> and, and it just like, it was something that really informed what I thought weddings were going to be like growing up. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and so when, when I saw that that's not what weddings were, when my friends started getting married, I was just, <laughs> I was like, Oh, it was way more complicated. This is definitely, this when, yeah, this is definitely an upper middle-class wedding. Where it's like, well, you really ought to spend tens of thousands of dollars on a wedding. And our wedding, I didn't really worry about the cost because Sarah was already worried about the cost because she can't stand being a (laughs) an expenditure. Like she didn't want to be costly, and Uh so we did a bunch of things that were homemade. Like the centerpieces were designed by her, and was all stuff that we already owned. The cake I, was really small. It wasn't a big deal, I don't think. <laughs> I don't remember a franc at your wedding. I think there was like a venue host, yeah. but no franc. We had an awesome caterer. Um, we had awesome family friends that helped execute the plan. But we, yeah, a wedding planner is not, was not in the car. It's not <laughs> even a part of the conversation. But there was definitely the stresses of like, yeah, the venue costs money, and our coffee cart costs money, and there's plenty of cost to it. But it was certainly certainly wasn't upper middle class money. <laughs> My father-in-law hears this, he's like, you're damn right, what? What are you talking about? Because, <laughs> again, what? I kind of just stayed out of it because it's like, uh, it's between you and Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you see uh, Steve Martin's house as um, upper middle class when you were young? Because it didn't register on me. I was just like, these these people have a bigger house than me, but that's where it ended. With um, me. I didn't think about like money in in that regard. I did kind of see it as a Hollywood home, mm. um, because it's 
it feels like the exact same house from Home Alone. Yeah, which I, I thought the exact same thing. And not only because there was a Culkin in this film. Um, right. But it it felt very square and like it could have been in Chicago, except that it wasn't made out of bricks. Yeah. And I think my... Because, yeah, like you and I as kids, we had, you know, both had pretty decent upbringings, but we certainly weren't living in houses like that growing up. And I think... Um, Mostly because I didn't see any houses in the Pacific Northwest that ever came close to it anyways. So it's just like, oh, it's just, they don't make houses like that anywhere. Well, I guess when I was living in California, we definitely lived in a neighborhood with like a lot smaller houses than that, for sure. Um, But like, you know, if if you drove like a couple miles in the right direction, um, you would, you would find houses that were twice as big as that house yeah well what's the other interesting thing is like kids watching this like bel air like the inlands house like bel air is bel air like there's nowhere else in the world like bel air um and every every town's got a rich part of the neighborhood but there's not a lot of bel airs in the world Uh, uh. Mm. am i i'm I'm, I'm sorry am i making you sleepy am i putting you to sleep yes (laughs) good night pal sleep tight i guess this is our not our first movie with a male protagonist, um, but I'd say it's the most um, the most masculine perspective film. Um, what did that bring to our genre that we haven't seen before? Um, testosterone. I mean, besides biological. Barely. Um, like if we take uh, Diane Keaton and Annie... Um, and then like Steve Martin is kind of the, the third in that like relationship of active protagonists in this film. Um, he's, he's more somebody who is, is passive, right? Because he is the one, at least in the choices in this film, he's until he decides to like, uh, take, brian out for a drink and get them back together he's like i don't really want to be involved in this whole thing wedding thing in or at least he allows himself to get shunted out and i feel like that's how a lot of mm, well maybe that's kind of like how guys feel in this genre a lot or in weddings a lot like you brought up um like were you a big decision maker in your wedding do you think you'll be at all a decision maker in your son's wedding you're joking right was i a big decision maker in my wedding i couldn't be a decision maker in my wedding because so much of the design was inspired not inspired by sarah but sarah was the wedding muse of she just everything just the centerpieces the design it just all just flowed out of her brain and it was just so creative and i'm just kind of like yeah yeah and then there could be chairs around the tables and we could sit and eat and and that's why you reminded me so much of steve martin because (laughs) he he wasn't there to give opinions he was there just to approve and say i will pay for this i'm pretty sure the coffee cart was my idea very nice uh, that doesn't surprise me. You are a, a good coffee man. And I think one of the global decisions 
was made was that we're we weren't going to have any liquor because it was just kind of like if you have no liquor that's a guaranteed like cost cutting effort sure and you can kind of make up for it for with different things so i was like well how about a coffee cart that would be fun and cheap because coffees are like two dollars a coffee not nine dollars a cocktail thank you for the minutia so Um, i'm just saying to answer your question a little (laughs) but but i think traditionally in in the realm of the wedding it's looked at at least um male female wedding like like this film well dad's line Um, producer right that he doesn't really have decisions he's just watching the budget exactly um and and i think especially in our society in the 90s especially that is that is how i bet 98 percent of weddings went right Mm -hmm. it's that's Um, interesting like i feel like this is the last like um i don't know there's something more equal in our i think your wedding why don't you talk about your wedding a little bit i just talked about mine a little bit why don't you talk about how yours was planned you already did a little bit but talk can i say about your wedding yeah it was beautiful thank you i was i was best man at it and it was it was a gorgeous wedding all thanks to sarah yeah um so sarah nice nice uh, um, and I think your wedding is more the future of weddings in the world. Thank you. I, we did set a good example. Our wedding was done, com- I would say, completely 50-50, um, down to the like the soundtrack for the dance, even. Um, though you did take that over as our personal DJ <laughs> after a bit. I was really a really good um, DJ, too, right? Yeah, you were actually really good. Yeah. Um, but our wedding was one where we um, we found a house. And I mean, we, we also lost our venue like three months before the wedding and had to do a lot of fun scrambling. Uh, fun is not the right word. Um, but mine and Robin's decisions, since we were in charge of like paying for the event, um, except for the money that obviously um, I, I talked about before with my my mom and dad helping chip in after we lost our venue um the like all since we were making the money decisions as well we decided that we wanted to make all of the design decisions and say like we we wanted to have a tea party okay what was that going to look like um well i don't really want to get boring mugs and so we'll go to goodwill for like eight months and just slowly pick out really awesome mugs to have at our mug party Mm -hmm. and then we we didn't want a bunch of tables with a bunch of different people sitting apart from each other. We just wanted a couple tables really close. And so we got long tables and they were all just decisions that we made together, which sometimes that's good. And sometimes like sometimes it, we just really wanted one of us to be making the decision. It's like on a film set where I, I hear a lot of people these days talk about how um, they want filmmaking to be more democratic, which has good like intent and roots but at some point in time you really just need one person to make a decision otherwise you're not going to make anything because people will be voting on it all day Mm -hmm. um and so like (laughs) when when um they're like we need a coordinator i was like yeah you should get a coordinator if you're gonna have a big wedding because it's too much yeah it's too much to handle well it's interesting because uh at your wedding if there's an issue if there's an issue at a wedding the groom is not you don't bother the bride ever the groom you can bother sometimes 
but you usually go to the bride and groom's parents because sure. they're usually the shot callers on the day. Yeah. And I feel like um, your parents at your wedding were basically at your service and that was how they were helping. They weren't the shot callers. They were basically the executors of the plan. Yeah. But I mean, our wedding was so different than other weddings because I didn't spend the whole day getting dressed. I spent the last like hour getting kind of ready, but the whole rest of the day I was like, you were there, you were helping me set up. We were all setting up our wedding outside cause there were 35 people there. Yeah. But I, I, th- thought the whole thing went down with so much is this the right word equanimity yeah you're right there was everybody lent a hand and it was kind um, of like we were all throwing a party and we were all the hosts and we were yeah, all and we were all attending yeah because like yeah. every attendee was part of the setup process yeah sorry thank you for that <laughs> no it was good though because like it made us feel ownership in the ceremony itself Cause like the candles were up and we're like, I set those candles up and someone else was like, well, I set those tables up. And I feel like people attending a wedding, at least the the one that I wanted to throw, um, I wanted people to have ownership over the, you know, you know, that's why we had people be able to pick their own mugs and, um, pick where they sat at the tables. Because if, um, if a marriage is made up of not only the two people who are, promising to each other but all those people that they call as witness then like don't you want that ceremony to be partially crafted and created by them too it's a very new agey way to think about it but um, i really like it thank you Uh, let me ask you this um brian mckenzie um yeah do you like brian mckenzie as uh as a character no as like a footstool (laughs) um yeah i mean he's fine um is do you think he's supposed to be just vanilla throughout the whole thing i think so i think he's he's supposed to be extremely likable that way when um when steve martin doesn't like him we the audience go well come on steve like there's nothing wrong with him lighten up lighten up but do you like him i do like him and um i've he's one of those actors where i just get so excited when he shows up because he's been on like some crime procedure i'm like yeah, it's that guy. I love that guy. <laughs> um, and I think uh, he does an equally impressive job the way that Kimberly Williams does is just conveying this young guy in love who really wants to get married to this woman and no one else. And mm-hmm. he his his speech at the beginning of the movie of him confessing his love and saying he wants to get married and Diane Keaton crying, um, I found that See, this is this is why I'm like, come on, man. This is more of a masterpiece now because you're actually living this stuff. Um, because I certainly had to give that speech to uh, my father-in-law. Did you have to talk to Robin's mom in this way? Did you guys have a conversation like this? Um, no. What, what I did was I... Um, so they don't live anywhere near here. And so I had to Skype with them and be like, hey, I really love your daughter. And I'm making a wedding um video that i need you to make a video for saying how much you love her oh, right and so so i didn't even have to have that speech because i was making a present for robin that told her how much i loved her and all the people around her loved her so that kind of got skipped <laughs> they were just like yeah cool no you're good <laughs> so lucky like i don't well I've i've had that conversation with parents before though where 
even even dating somebody long term where they've like sat me but it's more of a they've sat me down and been like what's your intention um did it did you have conversations that got that close with other other girls where you got that close to marriage um not necessarily marriage but you had to reassure the parents of like hey don't worry i'm a good guy oh yeah for sure interesting i've had like six of those conversations really i yeah i've only had one relationship in my life so can you eliminate me like personally a little bit right now like what that's like like is that is that closer to the speech that he gave in this movie well that that speech in in real life can go a lot of different ways like imagine imagine that you've known parents for a long time um when you make that speech it's going to have like a different amount of familiarity with it because you've actually known them for a while Mm -hmm. whereas if you've just like dated this girl for six what they've been together eight months yeah yeah um and then she hasn't told her parents about you and then you have to show up one day i feel like you have to show up kind of heart in hand otherwise if you're if you're a good person you have to show up heart in hand and say like i love your daughter and the feelings that i have for her are never going to change I'm here to stay. (laughs) I know it's weird. Like, I'm sorry we didn't tell you I am honorable. And you have to be extremely vulnerable with yourself. So I've I've never had that moment. Um, I I have had other personal talks that I don't want (laughs) to get into on the podcast um, with parents that... um, were reassuring them that I wasn't in a relationship um, for for a short amount of time just for kicks. Yeah. Like, obviously, since I'm married to somebody else now, those relationships all ended. But yeah. they ended, you know, for amicable, or amicable reasons, not, not because I was like, peace. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think, um, do you take, like, they didn't tell their parents about their relationship. Do you just take it because George Banks is an overreactor and the only way she could tell him about this relationship is in person and there was no way in hell she could write about it or over the phone. They didn't have Skype, but she, they, they come on, they had to be talking all the time on a weekly basis. This is a close family and she never brought it up. I guess so. And they did definitely had the money for her to be calling home. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, it doesn't make sense because she wasn't expecting her dad to react that way. So it wasn't like she was hiding it from, I him. think she was maybe, hoping he wouldn't do it that way, but he did anyways. And she's maybe not that I, surprised. I, I buy that. I, I feel like it was mainly like, she's like, I don't know if this guy's the guy. And then, you know, two months ago he proposes. And once he proposes, then I think you know. I think that's how I read the romance is the romance escalated much quicker than she ever expected to for it to escalate. And she they talked about how like we didn't meet this version of Annie, but she wasn't interested in getting married. And now suddenly she is. And that's mm-hmm. the other thing I kind of see in this movie is that this is a woman in transition of just like suddenly doing all the the normal things. The adult things. Yeah, I think that's another relatable thing where it's like, I'm never getting married or something like I'm never having this very basic vanilla white bread lifestyle and then suddenly you're doing it. 
Um, and then she picked the the most basic white bread vanilla dude. Yeah. But nice. I do nice. like him. Um, so work with me here, though. Don't don't you think because there is more to relate to that it is deeper? I'm not saying that it doesn't touch on on truths and it isn't written well and smartly. But there there are some movies that we've watched where when I get the feels, I really get like like a, a true gut feeling about about like um, somebody falling in love or a loss. Um, and I feel like through this movie's comedy um, being so Steve Martin-y, it kind of keeps that at arm, arm's length just a little bit. Where like even when Brian McKenzie is giving his speech, I, I believe it. I'm there for it in the moment. But most of that time, we're focused on Steve Martin through the filmmaking really being frustrated and spacing out and like being at a loss. And so... I'm not I'm not in that moment. I'm not there for the drama of that moment. I'm there for Steve Martin's comedy of that moment. And that's that's what I'm saying is that um I don't dislike that, but I remembered it a little bit differently as a kid. Mm. Mm. It fe- I felt like like more of an impact to me as a kid. And now watching it as an adult, I was like, "Oh, you're really splitting your time between these these two things that are happening because you're more interested in the comedy of this moment." And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think this movie plays... But the comedy is Steve Martin doing... You, you can't see me, but Steve Martin's face uh, really blank and wide-eyed. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. I do think this movie plays really broadly. Um, and I think it kind of says... I think the movie kind of comes out with the rubric in its hands and just kind of hands it out to all the audience members in the theater. And it's like, here's our rubric that you can you know judge us by um and the curve that you should be doing it by and i don't know for me it's just kind of like it is as deep as this kind of movie can be as deep as that's what i'm i'm yeah i'm i'm right there with you so i changed your mind you love it no oh (laughs) no i i think it's great i i i if if we're let's rate this movie because there's more to talk about, but I'm firmly putting it in the middle camp of rom coms. Um, I'm putting it in the middle. I, I, and, go ahead. Yeah, uh, it's something that I want to put on when I'm feeling nostalgic and I need. To, it's like when I want a treat, but I don't want it covered with too much chocolate and fudge, and I just want a scoop of vanilla ice cream because it's tasty sweet and will make me feel good that's this movie this movie is kind of a disney movie for me and one of the better ones that it's very safe it's very you know it's not it's going to be inoffensive it's all the humor is going to be mm-hmm. very funny but not like radically funny it's just good humor and this is the most early 90s movie that i think we're ever going to see especially fashion wise oh yeah Welcome to Ryan and Kelly's Rom-Com Oscars. I give this movie award for worst fashion, and I'm so happy about it because, like, Diane Keaton's, like, little, her, like, sparkly power jackets. Yeah, but that's totally her persona. Steve Martin's, like, big big baggy suits. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, I liked some of her clothes, but, like, man what she wore to the wedding. Steve Martin's like, <laughs> I, I knew, 
I couldn't remember what she was wearing that day, but I knew I'd remember what she looked like the rest of my life. I was like, Ooh, be glad you can't remember. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, it's kind of like when you, I want to touch on Diane Keaton's fashion then just for a second movie, like her entire career. This is just another consistent hit in the like Diane Keaton pantsuit, like echelon. It is, but it's not my favorite era. I guess so. But Diane like Keaton pantsuits, what are you going to ask? What, what do you want? Like, I want Annie Hall era. Yeah. Um, I like, uh, oh, I love what she, what she wears in the holiday, or the, not the holiday. Family Stone. What, in the Family Stone. Oh, so good. Um, but you're right. This is, <laughs> this is her style. I, and it would have been right here in the early 90s. So this is, this is another interesting thing about um, growing up with this movie is this is the first, like, movie when, like, seeing... Um, all the the suits and ties, that style, that early nineties yeah. style of suits and ties. Um, like, did you know anybody who dressed like that in the early nineties? No, but no, me neither. I saw a lot of it in media um, because you also see like uh, Chandler Bing dresses like this in season one. Look at me, I'm Chandler. Could I be wearing any more clothes? <laughs> When he goes to, but he he his is also clothes. a professional. Yeah, that's his work clothes. His work clothes look like that, and um, and these are we're going to brunch clothes. Yeah, and uh, you know who else dresses like this is um, hmm. Well, the characters in While You Were Sleeping dress either worse or nicer than this. Well, they they dress more appropriately, but um, not as classy, I guess. Yeah, I guess I'm just thinking of the um, the the patterns on the ties. Yeah, the patterns on the ties in this movie. <laughs> you know, the oh. the suits are kind of baggy <laughs> and big and bulky, and um, I don't know. It's the yeah, first example it, of what fashion is, uh, and it's not a great example, but it is. It's a nostalgic example. But it's strong, right? Yeah, like because because even if I I don't like the fashion at all, it. It rings so much more true watching this movie than when I watch like because um, people have started setting period pieces around this time, mm-hmm. and it's it's like it's it doesn't feel like the '90s. This movie feels like it. Well, it feels like the late '80s, really trying to tell the '90s how to do its job. Um, yeah, but I loved it. I, I I loved every moment of it. Um, and also, this '90s movie had Doberman pinchers or pincers <laughs> yeah. pincers. Yeah. Um, and they are, I feel like they're the scary dog in every 90s movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I was afraid of them as a kid just because of movies. See, this movie would be appropriate to see on Disney Plus, I think. Yeah, this is like in the Beethoven level of films. Oh, it's better than that. It's better than Beethoven, but uh, Doberman Pinchers made me think of it. And then I was that's like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like that's, safe. That's true. Um, so, yeah, I would put it in the middle category too, but I feel like for me at least, it's more effective storytelling than while you were sleeping um, or it does something different. Like Notting Hill is deeper. Notting Hill is better, um, but Notting Hill is more specific. And Father the Bride is just going to be a little bit more um, so mean the way I say it, but I don't want to say it. It's blander, but that's not bad. Well, no, no, I think it's safer. You've said that word a couple of times because I think you're right. Um, It is much more consistent than a movie like While You Were Sleeping. But While You Were Sleeping swings for the fences in a way that this movie doesn't. 
This movie yeah. is very safe. And I don't think that's to its detriment, but it it says this movie is going to be about a dad having a hard time with the wedding. And you don't leave that until the last 10 minutes. Yeah, and I my uh, metaphor for this movie is Notting Hill. Okay, you're, you're getting your whole family together. You're going to go to a restaurant. And um, someone says, oh, let's go to the Notting Hill version of this restaurant, which would be an Italian restaurant, but it'd be um, in downtown Portland. It'd be kind of dark. It'd be um, kids aren't allowed, so all the kids have to stay home. Um, it would have a great bar. It would have great food, but the food's a little expensive. Um, it's going to be a little bit for your pickier eaters. Um, it's British food. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it consistent by making my Italian restaurant metaphor. So Notting Hill is the Italian restaurant of dark bar, very nice drinks, very nice cocktails, very good Got dinner. It. Um, but it's the menu is all in Italian. It's no one's going to help you understand the. No one's going to translate it for you. Um, and then um, this movie is not Olive Garden, and it's not. It's more, but it's still like kind of a corporate, like Italian restaurant. But it's still really good, and you can take all the kids, and you can take your aunts and uncles who are just, you know who aren't into the like esoteric restaurant scene and they're going to have a great time, but it's, it is going to be a little bit more basic because of it. You're not going to have a knockout cocktail. That's just, you're not going to get it here, but you are going to have, sure. you are going to have a very good one. You're going to have a great, you're going to have a nice Italian soda though. Yeah. It's going to be really good, but you are not going to get that really nice Manhattan that costs $17. Hmm. And I think that's the thing is that sometimes that's what your brain needs. And I think that's why we're making this guide is just kind of like, look, you can't watch before sunset every day of the week. It's it's going to be you'd be exhausted. Yeah. What this movie didn't do, which I thought it would um, like sometimes I'll, I'll watch a movie that has a bittersweet ending, which this movie kind of does. A li- it's sweet, but there's a there's a little bit of sadness um, before uh, Steve Martin gets this call from his daughter. But this Sometimes I go into a wedding movie, a romantic movie, or an adventure movie even, and I find something that I'm missing from my life just a little bit, and I I feel like a sense of emptiness, um, and that's something that you I don't there's got to be an, a a word for that um, like that missing missing a thing that you've never had kind of, um, and a movie like Before Sunrise captures that for mm-hmm. me really well um but a movie like this i can go into and say you you make me feel on the most gosh i don't even know what i'm trying to say right now um in what what way does the author's use of the prison symbolize. You know what's interesting? We didn't sum up this movie at all. And I no, think I that's know. how well, good the movie is. You don't have to. Or is that how bland the movie is? Oh, but that's... Again, I think that's the... R- the genius of it. Well, it's it's, it's raison d'etre. You know what I mean? 
it's 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 out there to be something that is a comfort and a big pillow and a big hug yeah that's that's what i was trying to say this movie isn't trying to do a lot it's not trying to push you to there's no moral to this film um other than the obvious other than the obvious like you don't have to read any deeper than what this movie tells you and that there's nothing more evidenced um, or nothing evidences this more than the whole movie being in Steve Martin's narration. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the point is that these movies, like we don't, we don't go to jobs that are taxing, um, you know, mentally or like we don't go to traumatic jobs, but someone like Sarah, who is a therapist and deals with traumatic um, clients sometimes she can't come home to watch before sunset. It's just, it's not in the cards. Like she's like, I'm not what like she enjoys it. She'll like appreciate it. But like when she needs to watch a movie and I think, I think it's obvious I'm far more the romantic comedy obsessive than she is. But like, this is why these movies exist is that people come from like really hard days of work. And it's like, they, they need to have a very comforting, like easygoing time. Um, kind of like smooth jazz <laughs> something that's like maybe it's not the best but it sure is therapeutic it gets it gets the job done really well um but i i would yeah i mean i'm not going to compare my job with sarah but <laughs> i'm i'm kind of in that camp where if i come home from a really long day of filmmaking or like generally it's a really long week of filmmaking i i need something like this i remember when we watched roman holiday that was when i i was in the midst of uh working on that wonderland murder show and i was dying i was i was working way too much mm-hmm. and even though that movie is a, a little bit more substantive than this one it it gave me that vicarious frivolity the the lightness that i needed and this movie does that as well um it's i think it's more comedy than romance mm-hmm. um but you know that's what that's what comedy's for it saves us i do um we should probably close up soon but i do want to say i want to talk about sarah's experience with this movie because i find it so fascinating um she does not really like this movie and it's because she empathizes with george banks so much she feels it I think she feels his plight more than he does because the third act of this movie is about how George Banks misses all the big moments of the wedding. And Mm -hmm. it's one of those ironic things of like, he's working so hard and he doesn't even get to enjoy the wedding. And I think the way I've always read this movie is just kind of like, wah, wah, too bad. But it's not, it's not the end of the world because, um, because she calls, because she calls. And that's what matters is that, they still have their relationship and it's unfortunate he missed all these like moments. Yeah, definitely, definitely too bad that he missed all those moments, but they're good. They're good. But Sarah's just, she can't stand it that he missed all these moments. And she just thinks it's, she thinks it's tragic that he missed all these moments. And she's like, no, it is too sad. That movie is too sad. I I mean, I think it's, I think it's a little bit more tragic than this movie leads on as well because for me the it, it wants us to appreciate it on its level so i'm going to do that but what i was thinking of this time is like yeah you two kids are super selfish <laughs> because you 
you don't have that many friends, but you invited like a million people to your wedding and you didn't like even allow time for your dad to give a speech at your wedding. Like to me, I was like, bullshit. Okay. Like, okay. 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 Here's like, here's why you are, your wedding you are, is the future of weddings. Of- no, no, no. Here's why your wedding is the future of weddings because my wedding is far more similar to theirs. And when it's going, you have lost all control. Like bride and groom have no control over what's going on. And we, you are whisked from one corner to the other, but at your wedding, you guys were calling the shots from the get go, from beginning to end, you were in charge of everything. And we had to strong arm you into taking your photos. Um, and that was the only moment where we actually felt like we were able to like get you to do what we and, needed you to and do. And we took like five photos. And it was like 30 <laughs> seconds and that was it. But for Sarah and I, it was way more yeah. traditional where we were being told from one person or another. Where, I remember I was in those photos. Oh, <laughs> like the caterer was telling us what to do or um, you were telling me what to do or like Sarah's mom was saying you need to be doing this. Like every moment like we didn't feel like we were in charge and we couldn't keep track if it's like we had this whole plan of like then this would happen then this would happen then this would happen but once it got going the plan we weren't thinking about the plan it was just going and we had no control over it so i absolutely understand how they weren't like i don't put any fault on annie or Brian McKenzie for forgetting because... And I guess if you're letting somebody else pay for your wedding as well, like they also kind of determine who's coming to the wedding. Like that whole scene where all three of them were sitting down and determining who was going to come to the wedding. Like Robin and I did that ourselves. Yeah, and so many people Um, at my wedding I met at my wedding. I had never met before until they were at my wedding. And then I met them at my wedding. Does that make sense? Do you remember all of them? No. And I never saw them again. And like, I would run into <laughs> these people and I'd be like, nice to meet you. And they're like, oh, I was at your wedding. I was like, oh. Ah, fuck. Oh, how, how was I supposed to <laughs> Sorry. know? Sorry. And it's because they were some family friend of Sarah's that she kind of knew. And that's the thing about bigger weddings. It's just kind of like your parents suddenly have this list of people that are going, it's like, I don't want them there. I've never met them. Yeah. I mean, I guess we, we had to keep ours small uh, for cost reasons, but that's also why we had the princess bride party beforehand. Yeah. Um, was in order to keep our actual wedding small. Um, but yeah, your wedding was still a lot of fun. I, I yeah. only met like 10 people there that I was like, Oh, I know you yeah. and you. Yeah. And yeah. You. <laughs> um, so yeah, but um, Sarah takes, and that's what always has confounded me. Cause I love this movie and I love what I love watching as much as I, love watching all the other rom-coms on this list and i can't watch this one as often because sarah won't stand for it because she thinks it's very the third act is too tragic and what i don't understand is like the movie doesn't think it's tragic the movie just think it's inconvenient like the movie doesn't get heavy about it it doesn't get dark about it it's still very light and fluffy about it it does bring up an interesting topic there's an interesting thing um since becoming a dad and it's so much of it has been when I watch stories like watching boy meets world. Um, I'm not relating to Corey Matthews anymore. I'm relating to Alan Matthews and I'm still not close to Alan Matthews age, not for a while, but I now understand 
so much and understand how big of an idiot I was as a kid. And I think you understand that as you grow up of like, oh, yeah, I thought I was pulling one over on my parents, but they saw right through it right away. But now as a parent, like, oh, my gosh, now I really I get it. Like, I'm only a parent to a newborn, but still like there's this new shift in how you see the world and shift in how you see things. I I mean, I I believe that um, that is how you will continue to shift through films. Um, But like I said, I. I empathized and related a lot to parents when I grew up. And this is going to sound like BS, but <laughs> like you've I, said this before, so I'm starting to believe you. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I don't generally just empathize, um, or connect with a character that is most like me in either age or gender or what have you. Um, like sometimes I definitely do. Um, I, I mean, cause biologically that's what we are most prone to do. Um, but from, an extremely young age, I started empathizing, especially with um, girls in films. Um, and I, I think it, it branched off in ways uh, for me. So I'm, I'm going to be interested because I'm sure like if I become a dad, I will also <laughs> have a, a bunch of moments like how you're having. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like um, I, I, I felt most connected to Steve Martin, I think, um, in this movie ever since the first time I watched it. And that hasn't changed. So, um, is your prediction like, when's the last time you watched father of the bride Two? more recently, I think when I was like 22, 23, do you think you'll be equally disappointed or you're not disappointed? You're just, I'm not disappointed. You're going to have to rejigger your like expectations of the film. Well, I'm, I'm wondering like, um, do you remember if, Father of the Bride 2 is on the same level. That's how I remember it. Okay, well, I'll approach it that way, and then we'll see. Ah, I feel like there's pressure now that your your enjoyment is dependent on how I, how I laid down the law. No, 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 not at all. I just, um, I went into this, um, I just went into this movie with a, a lot of expectations, I think, and a lot of them were met, and some of them just were my own fault for going into it with the wrong expectations. Well, you can keep watching it and um, keep on yeah. readjusting your uh, rubric. And like I said, I really enjoyed the film mm-hmm. and it made me feel good after a hard day's work. We had to film like basically two commercials inside of our house today, which means that our place <laughs> is a ter- terrifying mess. Yeah. And we have, we have a tiny apartment. Yeah. So, <laughs> but um so like watching their whole house get torn up, I was like, I'm living this right now. <laughs> hey, Ryan. Hey, Kelly. Who'd you fall in love with? I would fall in love with Annie Banks. Annie Banks. Um, and uh, can we talk about that for just a second? Um, I think this is an important film in the sense that we watched it as kids and it set standards for us. And I... You mean standards of like beauty? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's fine to say. Yeah. And I think a character like Annie Banks, the movie is kind of saying in a weird way, by the way, world, Annie Banks is a very eligible character to be getting married. And in the way saying like, um, telling us the movie is making a case for Annie Banks to be getting married and saying, 
Um, she is a romantic character to enjoy a life like this. And in a way that's kind of telling younger men who want to fall in love is to look for girls like Annie Banks. Do you follow my logic? You mean look for girls who have basketball relationships <laughs> with um, their dads? No, but in like characterizations, but also in in some way in looks, because um, Sarah's a brunette, kind of short. I don't think I don't I don't know how tall Kimberly Williams is, but they don't look super similar. But they're similar, like they look similar, and I think part of it is just it. I did kind of start setting a standard for what is beautiful and attractive in a woman. I think a movie like this kind of kind of is a psychological like little brick in my mind of like who who would I want to be, be with? And I think someone like Annie Banks actually has been with that kind of character has actually been in the back of my head for quite a long time. And I probably haven't been very conscious of it at all. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the movie is making a case of this is the kind of person that a young man like yourself, you're going to grow up someday, you will fall in love and marry someone. Um, here is what an attractive woman is like. I, I feel like um, the romantic comedies that we watch, and especially the ones where um, people get married, um, if, if you're a marrying type, I think they do plant the seeds um, very effectively of um, people who you are then continually attracted to. Because if you watch one person fall in love that you thought was attractive as a young person um, and then you grow up and you you say, ah, I really appreciated not only what that person looked like, but who they were in this movie. And they are like they're a character. Sometimes they're idealized. Sometimes they are um, more real. But you can I think you have kind of a biological psychological transference uh, that happens there like um like i have that very much with um sloan oh from yeah ferris bueller's day oh Off. yeah um and i don't want to get too blue here or anything but like you know um robin uh you know like if you look at pictures of robin when she is in like college or the end of high school she looks just like sloan <laughs> Um, but, and that's, that's something in retrospect because I've dated lots of women that look very different from each Mm -hmm. other. I mean, we don't, we don't have to go deep into it, but like, you know, ethnicities and hair colors and, but it, it, I'm watching through Boyan's world. Like it like kind of blew my mind of when I was watching like Topanga Lawrence's arcs. I'm like, Oh my God, I think I had a crush on Topanga Lawrence watching the show. And I think I looked for a Topanga and Sarah and found it. Like, I think it it really set a standard of, like, a girl I admire was a girl like Topanga. And Which is pretty cool. T- Topanga's a pretty cool character. Yeah, she is pretty cool. But I didn't realize how in my brain that sh- those characters got in there. Like, they really wedged themselves in there. Did you, have you ever grown up, because um, I've definitely had these people in my life, um who I have dated or maybe even just fallen in love with, or even maybe fallen in love with from afar um, that have been based on characters from, from films. Like we don't even have to say just romantic comedies, but um, uh, like, I think this is a conversation that I want to get into more and more as we do the podcast. And I I know we don't have time in this episode, 
but the there there is a good side and a bad side to that like joseph campbell mythology where we have these archetypes set up in our heads by the media and stories that we consume when we're we're young and growing up um and that kind of informs who and what we look for and it also informs um the sadness and tragedy we feel when somebody a doesn't live up to those standards that we've built or b um when we don't live up to those standards that we've built for ourselves and i think um i think there's more beauty to be found in this than than not and that's why i want to make stories and movies yeah. <laughs> because um but i think um it's it's definitely a topic of conversation that um is is worthy of of having i think it as as critique yeah i think a dark truth for men and it's something that we struggle with um since our adolescence and since puberty is we especially in the 90s um and the early aughts and in the transformers era of you know having megan fox like in her face kind of um how media was working then um like you know you couldn't get away from a Paris Hilton, you know, kind of Paris Hilton herself or someone in that echelon of like they're famous and they're hot. And that's all that matters to you, young teenage boy. We create expectations of women. We will create expectations of women and we're either getting it from the media of the Megan Foxes or the Paris Hiltons or something safer and better like the Topanga Lawrence's and the, um, uh, the Kate Winslet's, the, you know, the Audrey Hepburn's, the what have you, but no matter what, and I think this is something that we have to reckon with, we're always making a standard off of something. And it's, it's, I don't know if that's something that needs to stop altogether, or it's just going to be something that men need to be aware of. It's like, you're creating that standard in your head, whether it's subconscious or conscious, you are creating that standard. I mean, that's well put. Um, I would also say that um, that kind of standard is, something that you know um anybody can make of anybody we're i mean we're a couple of straight dudes but you know you you can make that standard however you wish however um a lot i think a lot of the movies that we're talking about in this genre and not all of them not this one this one was produced by and written by um a woman mm-hmm. um but a, a lot of the times in this genre it's um it was especially a bunch of men making movies that were specifically marketed towards women Mm -hmm. as well and so um i don't i don't know what that necessarily has to do with what we were talking about yeah yeah it's just a it's an interesting thing and i think my point is this movie going back to my original idea is this movie was the first time a standard was set for me and it was interesting it was the first time i started thinking about who is attractive and what is attractive um and because like i was watching what Back to the Future, which yeah, well, Back to the Future though I think was you have really close to my first one with his mom. No, with Marty's girlfriend. With Marty's girlfriend. yeah, I, I guess Marty's girlfriend was so lathered in eighties ness I couldn't relate to her. I couldn't understand her because it was it was sure. just yeah. In the same way that Princess Leia, in a weird way, I never had as a like a reference or standard just because she was so intergalactic <laughs> yeah she was she was way too heroic like, uh for me to ever have a crush on when i was a like kid. her obviously the return of the jedi thing 
it was a thing for me as a growing boy. But again, it was still like, I understand this is fantasy. You don't have to worry about that. You do not have to remind me that I'm seeing something that's fantasy. Um, the way that other things I didn't understand was fantasy. Like, oh my gosh, another example is video games in the early aughts was just all marketed and angled for straight young guys. And it was just, there was so much like, uh, like hot girl stuff. And it was just like, I've been watching a lot of old shows of video games back in the day and it just like inundates you. And it's like, it was so much worse back then. It's bad now, but yeah, the first standard of, of what a beautiful woman is, uh, was, um, yeah. Father of the bread. What's her, what's her name? Um, Annie Banks or the, the actress, the actress is uh, Kimberly Williams. Kimberly Williams. Okay, well, you you pick Kimberly Williams. Um, I just made I, a case it, that I'm like, and I'm in love with her, and <laughs> we're getting married. I think you you definitely capitalized on who would you fall in love with. Um, I think that's my most with this honest, one. convicted answer yeah. I've ever given you. Like mine would be Belle, I think, from Beauty and the Beast, if I was really going back to the beginning of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this movie... I'd have to say I, I I was kind of torn between her and Diane Keaton's character. Yeah. Um, Cause I think I like Diane Keaton's character a lot. She's sincere. She's really lovely and she's funny. Like she's not necessarily combative, but she's like upfront about things. I'm going to go with Diane Keaton, Nina. Yeah. And I should say Sarah was watching this with me last night and um so she she'll i guess she'll watch it but she's not crazy to watch it um sure. but um you know i i my favorite phrase to say is i'm not an expert in marriages but my wife is because she's literally trained in it and um for her the what's the best part of the movie is george and nina actually have for her literally have they have an exemplary marriage of nina mm-hmm. grounding george and keeping him um sane in the moment but only with love and respect and trust and communication and it is uh i would i would not be surprised if sarah would say yeah use scenes from this movie to you like teach like marriage like skills she treats even when she's mad at him she treats him with such grace Mm -hmm. and she's funny Mm -hmm. yeah so i'm gonna go that way um hayden what are we watching next week um, are we doing two weeks notice next week? Yeah, we're doing two weeks Hell notice. Oh yeah. Uh, so th- we're not doing this quite randomly, but we're bringing um, Ryan's wife, Sarah, who you've heard so much about. Um, and are we bringing Robin back for a, a, a repeat? Mm-hmm. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you know, please follow us if, uh, if that is your want. Uh, we do a lot of like cool posts on there about rom-coms. You can also... Um, find ryan and i on any of those platforms except twitter because you know it's so hard to keep up with the social medias (laughs) um also please rate and review us on uh apple podcasts if you can and tell your friends about us it does a lot of work into like getting us new viewers listeners Um, my friend listeners well they're viewers as well because they um they're also watching the movies that's true that's true that's true and so ryan this is kelly saying i love you i love you And this is where we will say goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. 
I'm I'm really tired, so I'm gonna go to go bed. Go to bed. <laughs> go watch Father Bright again. <laughs> <laughs>